Let's talk about gravity. It's a constant. It affects everything and everyone. It's a relentless weight that never gives up in pulling us down. But gravity can be defeated. When a force is applied that is greater than the force of gravity, then and only then can we say that we are defying gravity. One of the few times in our life where defiance is okay. Defying gravity. We've been, we've been taught, well, not we, I haven't been here. The, the church has been talking about that over the course of the last six weeks, and, and we're going to talk about, today about pondering gravity. I've been pondering, I've been pondering a lot of things, and God has taught me some things and reminded me some things, and, and I'm going to share three of those with you today. But before I do this, I, I want you to take out your Connect card, and I want you to look at those two things on there. What, can anybody remember the series we did before, Defying Gravity? What was that called? The Art of Neighboring. Very good. The Art of Neighboring. And, and I, I told you at the end of that series that I would periodically, over the course of the next year, um, remind you of that and what the Lord taught us. And so I want you on your Connect card there, I want you to, to, to check one of those or both of those if, if they pertain to you. One is, I am continuing to pray for my neighbors. Um, let's, just as a reminder this morning, for those immediate neighbors that you have around you, um, there were, there were um, eight of them. Uh, in fact, let's see, I have that right here in my Bible. Uh, maybe you have this chart still in your Bible. Maybe it's on your refrigerator to remind you to pray for your neighbors, your immediate neighbors. And, uh, and then the other one is this. Uh, maybe you haven't had an opportunity to reach out to, the, to one of your neighbors yet. And, and one of your neighbors has really been on your heart and on your mind. And, and you might think to yourself, or this is kind of what we've done. Maybe you have a neighbor who might be alone for Thanksgiving. They don't have family around. Maybe they're new to the neighborhood. And, and what if you, if you have a big family gathering or, or a family gathering for Thanksgiving, were to invite one of your neighbors to come and join you and your family for the Thanksgiving meal? I think that would be awesome. And, and so I just wanted to challenge you with that this morning. If, if, if the Lord would just put that on your heart, that you would respond to Him in obedience and invite a neighbor to come enjoy your meal with you on Thanksgiving Day. So I've been on sabbatical. And what does that really mean? I mean, I, I was asking myself that question. What, what, what do I do? What, what do I do for this six weeks or seven weeks? What, what should I do? And, and most people said, you need to just disconnect. You need to, you need to remove yourself from, from the church and, and you need to disconnect and, and open your life up so that the Lord can speak to you and have fun. So I did, have, I, I did do some of that fun. Um, I spent four days or five days, I think it was, in my brother's cabin west of Laramie. Um, and many of you know the story of the first time I spent or was going to spend four days in that cabin. I was going to disconnect at that time. And so there was no phone or TV or internet, just silence, just me and my Bible and a couple books. And by the third day, I was so lonely, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I came home early. You remember that, right? Well, this was a little bit different. Um, I spent every afternoon of those days uh, with my son in Laramie, who's going to the University of Wyoming. And we played golf and we went fishing a couple days and we went to watch the Wyoming Cowboys play football and they lost. Um, 
some some were asking why why this this you know why why first of all I thought it was it was shave at all November not no shave November um, but uh, it, it's those doggone cowboys it just made me pull all my hair out right the football team come on football team right um, yesterday. Uh, a friend of mine and I, we, we went to Laramie and hooked up with my son and we went to the basketball game at 4 o'clock and, and that was as high as a high could ever get. You know, we beat Colorado 56 to 20 or 32 and, and it was just an awesome, there were 9,000 people there and then we went to the football game and it was as low as low could ever get. Um, it, we, we left early. I've never left early from a, an, a sporting event before and, and we left early. Of course, it was, I don't know, 11.30 when we left. But um, it, 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 and, and I thought, you know... As, as minor as that is, you know, athletics and sports, and I know some of you, when I talk about sports, you roll your eyes. Here we go again, sports analogy. Um, but as minor as that is, it's, it's sort of a good description of, of life. You know, we have all of these high highs, and, and then we have some of these low lows, and oftentimes we have highs and lows over things that just, there's just no reason to be high and low about those things. It's like, you know, I have to remind myself, it's a game. It's, it's, you know, my, my life and the air that we breathe does not hinge on whether the Wyoming Cowboys win a football game or not. You know, um, I, I would like them to be competitive. And maybe that's coming someday, right? So, so I spent some time with my son and we did those things. And then I went, um, uh, after that weekend, I went up to Walden, Colorado and spent uh, two days with my brother Dennis fishing um, on a lake that I will not tell you the name of because I'm going back. Right? Um, my brother, Dennis, is, uh, and many of you know him, he's preached here before, um, is an incredible fisherman. I mean, he is um, amazing. Usually, out, he, he outfishes me four to one with the same stuff. He'll fix me up, you know, with the fly rod and all that. Same exact stuff that he has. And he's pulling them out and I'm catching, you know, one here and one there. And he ties his own flies. And at the end of our time up there, he opened all of his fly boxes. I mean, there's like six of them. And he says, hey, before we leave, why don't you take three of everything you want? And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, I think I left there probably with $100 worth of flies. And, uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, we got there Sunday afternoon and we started fishing at five. He likes to fish at night in the dark, headlamps, you know, float tube, it's cold. Um, I fished from five to 10.30. And in the first 10 minutes, I caught the biggest fish I've ever caught in my life. Now, I, I don't know if this is Lord, the, the Lord's sense of humor or what, but it, it was a, a six-pound, 24-inch rainbow trout, and it took me 10 minutes to land it. And, uh, and then I proceeded to catch um, six more between 5 and 10.30. And, and at 10.30, it was so cold, I couldn't stay in the water any longer. I went back to the camper and went to bed. He didn't quit. Because from 5 to 10.30, he caught zero fish. Not one fish. Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy. He stayed out till 1230 and caught three. So I thought, I'm still ahead of him, right? Well, over the course of the next day, he slowly caught up. And by the end, him having fished an extra five hours, we caught the same number of fish. Our three-day total was the same, 13. But, but it was just so much fun to be with him and to be out there. And I know my wife was glad I was out there because for the first two weeks I was at home and she just really wanted to get rid of me. She didn't want me around anymore. I don't understand why. I, you know, all this time that I'm here. Um, we spent a week in, in Minneapolis with our daughter and her husband and we, uh, 
we went to her her appointment where they did the uh, ultrasound and found out um, whether she was having going to have a boy or a girl in March, Lord willing. And uh, uh, it, it still is just weird to me. I'm not that old, right? I'm just not. I should not be approaching grandparent stage. Um, they say it's really exciting. I'm, I'm hoping it's exciting. I think it will be. Um, and my wife's like, yeah, yeah, it's him. He just doesn't get excited about things ever. Um, she told me when she was pregnant with Zach, and, and I said, great, that's great. Just like that. And she got mad at me. Oh, I just didn't understand why. I mean, I just don't, you know, cart whip, cartwheels and backflips. I, I just, so anyway, um, she's going to have a boy. Um, and uh, so March 13th, I guess, is the date. Somebody asked me that the other day, and I said, I know it's in March. They're like, you don't know the day? Is that important? I don't, you know. It's March 13th, and uh, very excited about that. Um, you know, the spiritual gravity that pulls us down in our lives is very real, isn't it? Um, we all have experiences in life where we would say, um, I have experienced spiritual gravity that has, has tried to pull me down and, and destroy the faith and the hope that I have in my Lord and Savior. Um, and, and its effects have been very real for me over the course of the last year and, and just, just emotionally and with some, some different things that have gone on in our lives. And so over the course of the last six weeks, I have been pondering and, and just seeking the Lord to fill me up and, and allow me to breathe again. And, and, and as the weeks progressed, I believe that, that I was able to hear the Lord. And He did speak some things to me and He did teach me some things. And some of those um, were, were wonderful to hear and some of them were, you know, like some of those lessons that the Lord teaches us. It's like, oh, that kind of hurt. But, but I know it's good. I, I know I needed that. And I'm going to share three of those things with you here this morning. And of course, the reality is that, that uh, I am as human as ever. Uh, I am as human as anybody susceptible to, to anything that you are, imperfect, um, as needy for a Savior as anyone else, and, and traveling the same journey that you are, experiencing life as it comes. And uh, hurtful things happen to, to me, hurtful things happen to my children, you know, um, people that I love make terrible mistakes and bad decisions that are, that are destructive in their life. And my role as pastor and shepherd and as father and family member combined with the personality style, if you know me very well and you know my personality, you know that, 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 that those two things have to be navigated very carefully. That, that I have to pay attention and intentionally do some things in my own life. Um, in this area, I must grow in and seek to grow in because the reality is that, that no matter what weaknesses I have, or no matter what weaknesses you have, Paul says with the right attitude and humility before God, that's when we actually become strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 say this, but He, Jesus, said to me, it's Paul speaking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, My Grace is sufficient for you. So when you are weak, my power is made perfect in the midst of that. 
Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. His grace, His power. See, we need to be transparent with one another. We need to admit when we make mistakes. We need to admit when when we do things that are wrong or stupid. and, And we need to seek God's forgiveness for those things. It's His grace. It's His power. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It has to be. As Paul says, He must increase, I must decrease. So this morning I want to share three things that God reminded me over these last six weeks. These may be things that you already know. These may be things in regards to yourself even. Maybe, maybe this message is for you this morning as it has been just for me as well. Maybe, it regards, um, maybe even in regards to me, um, you're going to learn something new here this morning. And there are certainly things I already knew and desperately needed reminded of. The first thing is this. Jesus is central and supreme. Jesus is central and supreme. And if you would turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23. And, and, And this message primarily came to me through the teaching of our small group leader in our Bible study that we that we meet with on Wednesday nights. And 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 I want to tell you, um, in the the course of the last year, this this Bible study group that we are a part of has been has been key in 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 praying with us through things and in helping us with things and helping one another. And and, you know, a year ago when we had this church wide push for everybody to be in a small group, and, and maybe you're one of these people. You, you just think to yourself, gosh, Pastor Dave, I just don't have the time. I, can't, I couldn't give up two hours on a Wednesday night to, to go to a Bible study. You know, I, I've said that before. And, and I may even have, have maybe apprehensively said, yeah, let's continue meeting for the rest of the year. But, but as, as, as we met through the rest of that year, and, and you know, we, we were hit or miss a couple times this summer, but then we started back up again in the fall, that question as to whether I should give two hours once a week to a Bible study group is not anymore, I don't think I can. It's how can I not? It, it has become such a great group that, that shares life together and prays for one another. And, uh, you know, we're not all there every night, but, but, but a lot of the times we are. And, and I just want to encourage you, if you are not in a small group, or meeting with somebody regularly, find those people. Maybe you've been a leader before. Gather some folks and say, hey, you know what? We just got to do it. And, and, and get started on that. Um, so that's where this, this first lesson, Jesus is central and supreme. We're studying the book of Colossians, and this came from there. Let, let's look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He, Jesus, Paul says, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Think about that. Try and picture that. He's, he's the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What we can't see in God, we can see in Jesus, who is here and walked to the earth. And he talked, and he talked, and he, and he taught, and, and they recorded it. And we have all of that in the New Testament. 
The firstborn over all creation, it says right there. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. By Him all things were created, it says. So Jesus has been always. Okay? Jesus is God. We're going to see that in a little bit. And by Him, all things were created. So everything we see, everything you see in this room, created by God. Everything you see outside, created by God. Everything you see when you look through a telescope into space, created by God. And Jesus. Created by Jesus. And it goes on to say that all those things were created by Him and for Him. There's a purpose for all of those things. They were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. You see, if I forget that Jesus Christ is supreme and central, I think things maybe require myself to hold together. And that, that I might do some of those things. And then, then I start dis- deposing Him from His throne and I start putting myself on that throne. No. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is, verse 18, the head of the body, the church. The church is Jesus Christ's instrument on planet earth to reach people for the good news that He has for for people. That's His chosen instrument. The church. And He is the head of it. He is, now I really want you to see this, because this is the one that just just grabbed me this time. I've never really seen this before. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. What does that mean? He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. Well, this is what I think it means. You see, Jesus came as a human, Fully God, fully man. I don't know how that works. It's just amazing. It's wondrous. It's awesome. But then we, we killed Jesus, right? Jesus died. And what happened? We buried Him. Jesus died. We buried Him. But then what happened? Jesus was the first to be raised for all eternity. He was the first. First of all, because He's the only one that could do it. It needed to be done to save us. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. He's dead no more. He is the first, first one raised for eternity. And then it goes on to say, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him, Jesus, to reconcile to, him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus made peace. He conquered death. And from that day on, others were raised for eternity. And you and I, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christ follower, you've surrendered your life to Him, you're... You're on that timeline. You will follow Him to eternity. Isn't that amazing? He w- but He was the first. Jesus was the first. Paul goes on to say, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So all of us have this story. All of us at one time were aliens. We were enemies of God. We were, we were people subject to the wrath of God. But when we responded to his call on his life and put our faith and trust in Jesus, he cleansed us of all sin. And He reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death so that as we are then presented to Him, we are holy in His sight. You need a gift to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? That's it right there. And He says, as we continue in our faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, that we will be without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. See that mention of the word not moved from the hope held out in the gospel? We sang a couple songs that talked about Jesus being the rock. You see, that hope that's held out in the gospel doesn't move. It's established and firm. It's solid. It is strong. And, and, and when we waver in our faith and, or, and we question or doubt God and, and His work in our life, what's happened? Jesus hasn't moved. The rock hasn't moved. We, have, we are the ones that have moved. We are the ones who are trying to step off of the rock into our own world. No, Jesus Christ is central and supreme, and we must not forget that. And gravity, the gravity of evil and temptation will seek to pull us away from that message and to cause us to doubt and and be discouraged and trust in ourselves and our money or our relationships or whatever that might be for you. No, Jesus is central and supreme. A woman went to her door because there was a knock on it. And when she answered it, a man uh, was standing in the doorway and he said, Ma'am, I'm here to tune your piano. And the lady who, ha- who was a pianist said to him, I didn't call anybody to come tune my piano. And he says, No, I know you didn't call me, but your neighbors called and asked me to come tune your piano. You know, there are those times in our lives when we need somebody else to nudge us in the direction that we need to go. And I, I, I thank you for this last six weeks that, that I might have the opportunity to, to be nudged to go in the direction that the Lord would have me to go. Now, this reminder of Christ being central and supreme, it, it informs the rest of our lives, doesn't it? I mean, in everything that we do um, should revolve around that. In, in fact, it not only informs, but it should transform our lives. Our, our lives are, are different because of that. And if they're not, then there's a question that we need to ask. You know, I've, I've pondered this. Would my spiritual life be different? Because you, you have to understand that, that I have been in full-time vocational ministry since 1992 for 22 years. Uh, how many here have been doing the same job for 22 years? Raise your hand. 
Okay, so some of you know what that's like to be in something for that long of a period of time. Do you ever think about what life would be like if you were doing something different? Do you ever wonder um, what kind of decisions you would make or how, how, if you would feel significant or anything like that? Well, I, I ask myself this question. What, what if I was doing something differently? What would my spiritual life be like? Because a lot of times people say, well, pastors, you know, they kind of have it easy because, you know, their spirituality, that's, that's their job. You know, they, they should be really good at it, right? So I ask the question, what if I were an auto mechanic? Or what if, what if I were a farmer? What, what would my life look like? What would my spiritual life look like? What if, what if I was a writer for a newspaper? Or I was a teacher? Or I was a plumber? Or a carpenter? Or I worked at the prison over here? If, if that were my job, and I did that you know, 40 hours a week, or for however many, 80 hours a week that you work, would my spiritual life look differently than it does now? And, and the reason that I say this is because I don't want you to say, well, gee, Pastor Dave, you should have a handle on all of this because this is your job. And I sort of get off the hook because I'm not a pastor. I don't have the time like you do, you know, to read my Bible all day long and spend time in prayer. Well, neither do I as a pastor, honestly. Um, but what if I were an auto mechanic, say? And, and I thought about that. And you know what? I think if I were an auto mechanic, I would still get up in the morning. I would, I would still cook breakfast for my family. I would still grab the Bible out and have a devotion and pray before the beginning of the day. That wouldn't be any different than it is now if I were an auto mechanic. I think I would still um, come here on Sunday mornings or or another, you know, church wherever I was living and, and I would worship with other people as, as the family of God and, and that I would seek to have him, uh, the pastor or leader, whoever that was, to speak into my life and, and help me hear what God wants to say to me. I, I think I would still do that. I think, I think that, that... I would still... When decisions were to be made in my life, say, Lord, you know what? What do you think here? What should I do? Um, I think I would still maybe get frustrated when he didn't tell me exactly what he wanted me to do, as you probably do sometimes. And I'm going to share a verse with you in a little bit that I think really speaks towards that. But you know, gravity wants to pull us away from this. In Psalm 139, I think I would still pray this. If I were an auto mechanic and not a pastor, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. It would be no different. There would be different pressures, different things like that, but it's still the journey of life. It's still a journey of faith. So this next lesson that I come to here is and number two is this. Contrary to my selfish and prideful thoughts, I am not indispensable. We can get that way, can't we? You know, we can think to ourselves, if, but if, if I don't do this, who's going to do it? And, and it won't get done if I don't do this. 
Or, or there isn't anybody else that can do this as good as I can, so, so I should do this. And we, we start adding things to our list and, and we begin to think that we're indispensable. And, and then we begin to think that we're actually powerful enough to do all of those things and, and do them well. During a church's worship service, the pastor invited all the children to come forward and you know, he, he gave the kids, the, the kids sermon. And, and he was using a chocolate chip cookie as an illustration of what the church is like. You know, because Paul says in, uh, in Romans chapter, uh, chapter, chapter 12, uh, he talks about how we're all a part of the body and the body has many parts and that's just like our body. You know, we have all these parts. And so the pastor was saying, I have this chocolate chip cookie here and this represents the church and all of the different ingredients represent all of the different people that are in the church. And, and the pastor kind of talked about how he represented the pastor himself as part of this family. He represented the chocolate chips. And he asked the kids, he said, um, what would happen if we took the chocolate chips out of this cookie? And this little boy in the back raised his hand and, and the, the pastor said, yes, yes, young man, um, what, you know, what would this cookie be without the chocolate chips? And the, the little boy says, six grams less fat. Now there's a smart kid, right? He knows how many grams of fat are in chocolate chips. So my question to you over the course of the last six weeks is, have you felt as a church, as a body of believers, like you've been, you know, like you've had six grams less of fat because I'm, I've been gone? I mean, uh, as I've listened to the sermons along the way that, that Pastor Ty and Adam and, and, and Keith Couch did in, in my absence... Uh, I learned and, and God discipled me through the midst of those. And, and a couple of those, we, I listened to one the morning, uh, the last Sunday that I wasn't here, and, and I listened to one that morning and then went to another church and, and the pastor was talking about the same thing. And God used that to move me along even further. And, and, and the, the folks that stepped in for the worship team, I, I hear they did a, a great job. And, and, you know, because, because it's not all about this and what it does for you. It's all about this and how we do life together. And in the midst of that, I am not indispensable. I might think that sometimes. In fact, if we were all honest in here, there might even be times where you might think that yourself. Oh, what are, what are we going to do if... Who's going to fill the coffee when it runs out if Pastor Dave's not here? Yes, I, I do do that. Who, who, who takes care of the cross? Because it's, it, the, the timer needs changed. You know, it's been dark at 4.30 and the cross doesn't come on until 6. I fixed it. Okay? You, you know, there, there are a lot of those things. You know, it, if you've been here very long, you know me. You know, it's really easy for me to say, my wife knows especially, it's easy for me to say, well, if nobody's going to do it, then who? And the immediate answer to that for me is me. And, and, and I'm just being honest. I, I can't live life that way. I can't burn the candle. At, can a candle have four ends? Because sometimes it feels like there's four flames. You know, the wax is pouring off of there. And I know your life can be the same way. And, and, and my hope is that, that in hearing what I'm saying, you're hearing that going, you know, there might be some things in my own life that I need to get straightened out and in the right order. You know, because if we, if we think that we are indispensable, we're just 
It shouldn't be about one person. In, in fact, God doesn't need me to accomplish what He wants to do on this planet. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. The, the crazy thing is, and the cool thing at the same time, is that He chooses you and me. He chooses to use us on this planet to reach other people for Jesus Christ. He doesn't need us. And, and that's been part of my a change that has had to happen in my life is if I think God needs me, if you think God needs you, it can kind of make us feel a little proud maybe. Maybe um, it, it, it makes me feel like I'm that, that dude, that statue, you know, where the guy's standing like this and he's holding the earth on his back. If you, to me, if you think God needs you, that's the kind of pressure that you're putting on yourself. That's the kind of pressure that I'm putting on myself. And that leads into the next point. And that's this. God's power does the work. He does the changing, not me. He, he's going to change people's hearts. I, it's not going to be me. You know, and I apologize this morning, but I am all over this right here. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. So I'm trying to... The verse that I wanted to share with you about that, that informs that last point is Micah 6.8. So what, are, what should we do? What should I do as pastor? What should you do as, as Christ follower? Well... Micah 6.8 says, God's shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And as we each do that, as a part of the body of Christ and this church family, God begins to use us and, and, the, and His power in us to change the lives of other people. Too often, I think... That whole fixed thing and that whole if nobody else will do it, then I'll do it thing can, can work its way into relationships. And, and if somebody has a real big struggle in their life, they've, they've been hurt deeply or, or they made a really bad, bad decision, I pray for them, yes, but then I begin to think to myself, especially if it's somebody close to me, how can I fix this? And... and Focus in on that word I because that's what goes through my head. How? What can I do to make this not be this way anymore? And more often than not, there's, if I was honest with myself, nothing I can do. Pray, yes. Witness faithfully, yes. Love mercy. Walk humbly with the Lord. And God's power will do the work. Because you see, Christ is central and supreme. I am not. He is God. I mean, have you ever thought, if I were just convincing enough, if, if I had just been in the right place at the right time, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Maybe you were in a, in a car crash and you think, well, or... or, or 
you were know somebody that was, and, and you think to yourself, well, if I had just done this, they wouldn't have been there at that point in time in life. We don't have that kind of control. We don't have that kind of power. When I was a youth pastor, there were there was two times through the course of, of our ministry, those sixteen years, that that I just felt really flat. I, I just I just didn't understand what was going on. The kids the kids were just they were being dumb. You know, they were making bad decisions and they weren't listening and, and, and the worship was flat and, and, and I couldn't figure it out. So you know what I did? I tried harder. I tried to speak more passionately and I, I, I tried to lead the music more, more passionately and, and do a better job at that. And I, I, I tried to go to more things and, and, and have more conversation with students. And, and you know what that did? It made me really tired. And it wasn't until, and, and it, I'm, I'm telling you, some of you were a part of the ministry at that time and you, you shared some of these stories with me. The day that I said, Lord, you know what? I get it. I can't do it. It's you. Things started changing again. Now, we still have to work. And we still have to do things that we believe God has called us to, but we leave the results to Him. If you share Christ with somebody and they reject you, you know what? You can't change their heart. All you can do is faithfully witness to them the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And trust that God, who doesn't need you, but has chosen to use you in their life, is going to do the work in their heart that He wants to do. And you go on. It kind of makes my shoulders drop and me relax a little bit when I think about it that way. God is the one that does the work. Uh, two final verses. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two things happen there. One, the first is we receive what? Power. We receive it. It's not ours. We get that from the Holy Spirit. And the second is the command to do what? Say it. Be witnesses. To be witnesses. To tell the truth. To proclaim the good news. The Holy Spirit. God is the, the source of the power. And then Philippians chapter 2 Verses 12 and 13. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you, Paul says. And now that I am away, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Paul's saying, look, you need to do what God has commanded you to do. And when I was there, you know, I was able to help you. And now that I'm gone, Paul says, even, even the more you need to, to be aware that you need to do this, but Paul doesn't, and, and that's kind of where we maybe think in our lives. We stop there and we say, yes, I just, need to, I just need to live life better. I need to work harder and be more disciplined and all of that. I'm going to do it. No, Paul goes on. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. That comes from Him. 
And if we get into the point, if we get into a time in our life where that desire is not there, my prayer for you is that you take the time to seek the Lord for the answer to that question. Lord, what is it? Is it sin in my life? Is it, is it a wrong attitude? Is it, I think I'm all high and mighty and, and, and I'm, I'm you know, superseding you? What, what is it? And, and He will search your heart and He will tell you if there is any wicked way in you. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Just as He's working in me, He's working in all of us. Jesus is central. Let us not forgive that. Forget that. And and I don't know the message for you in point two, but the message for me is clear. I am not indispensable. I am not. It's a privilege that God chooses me to do what He wants me to do. And, And I need to recognize that in Him choosing me to do that, I need to leave the results to Him. And then finally... He's pretty big, our God. And He can handle it. He really can. Let's stand on the rock. When it feels like the earth is melting away beneath us, remember to stand on the rock. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You for just the Oh, just, Lord, what it feels like to be back and to be getting my feet back under myself in, in the church here. And Lord, I, I, just, I just thank You for this, this family. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to see it that way, that, that it's not a group of people that are opposed to one another, but, but, but we're a group of people with all different kinds of gifts and skills and talents that You have given us to, that, that, that You choose to use us. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm excited about those things coming up in the next two or three months that, that, that You're going to teach us from Your Word. And Lord, I pray that, that You would continue to, to raise us up to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. Lord, I pray that You'd help us to do that in a healthy way. Uh, Challenge each one of us. Whatever areas that we need challenged in this here this morning. Lord, we want to grow. Now, Lord, we want to worship You with this final song. With our voices, we want to worship You with this final act of, of giving as we give of our tithes and our offerings this morning. Oh, Lord, we worship You. In Jesus' name, amen.